Lord, that's our prayer this evening, that you would open the heavens and pour out your spirit on our lives. Lord, the soil of our heart has received so much of the seed of God's word. But Lord, what we really need is the heavens to be opened and the rain of the Holy Spirit to be poured out afresh on the soil of our heart that the seed of the Word of God might germinate, grow and produce fruit. Lord, we stand before your presence tonight. We stand before your throne. We're conscious of our need of you. We're conscious that we need to be filled up and sent out. Lord, we're conscious that the times that we live in and the circumstances that we face, we can't do it on our own. We can't fake it even. We need a genuine move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we ask that you will deepen the work of God in our lives. We pray that you will bless us with the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit will come bring divine change bring divine change in our lives bring renewal of the mind Father here we all present ourselves to you as living sacrifices we ask that you will cleanse us cleanse us from sin Lord and from sin's effects the lies of the enemy that tries to lodge in our minds we pray you'll purify us Lord that we might be hosts of the Holy Spirit and power. Lord, we ask that your grace will meet us at our point of need. Pray that, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you tonight, recognize our need for God, that you will lift us up so that we can see the face of Jesus in everything that we are and everything that we do. Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would increase the genuine work of the kingdom in our lives and our church. Lord, we want an increase in the openness of the heaven. We want to experience you. We want to know you. And that can only happen by your grace touching our lives. Lord, it's all about your glory. That's what it's all about. When all's said and done, it's about your glory about your reputation, that people would know of you and know who you really are. That's your glory, your reputation, your character known on the earth. Lord, may we be carriers of your glorious reputation to one another and to those that are around us. The devil wants to stop your glorious reputation, stop your glory. He wants people to be ignorant of you, Lord. And there's a great darkness of ignorance over London tonight. Many people are unaware of your greatness, your love, your power, and your redeeming work. Ignorant, in darkness, and therefore you are not glorified in, that, in these things. Also, Lord, your glory is your manifestation. It's your effluence. It's your shining. It's your presence. And Lord, again, so few people in this city experience on a daily basis your presence, your touch, your light shining into their hearts 
so few feel the radiance of the Son of God shining into their lives. And your glory, Lord, is being attacked. Reputation, the devil's trying to keep the gospel silent. Your presence, people are running to the presence of the evil one. And so, Lord, we ask that you will start with us and cause us to grow in our levels of being able to share the greatness of our God. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity in worship. When we worship, we glorify you. We sing your praises. We declare your reputation, your goodness, your greatness, your mercy. Lord, help us, Lord, to have opportunities to share your greatness, not just with one another, Lord, but with those that have never heard about you, that don't know how great you are and how loving you are. Lord, anoint us to be carriers of the good news of who you really are and to dispel false notions of who God is, false religions, false understandings. May we have the word of power in our mind, mouths of the greatness of our God and his son, Jesus. We also pray that we will be carriers, Lord, of your presence. Wherever we go, in London and the world, there'll be something about us that isn't just a vocal sharing of your greatness, but the touch of God will be on us and the glory of God will shine through us, that people will see Jesus in us, see that there's a difference that God has made in our lives. And for that to happen, Holy Spirit, you are the key. Therefore, in prayer, we invite you to increase your workings that we might be vessels of honor, carriers of your glory, and, and, and that we might bring the glory into the shame of this world and the light into the darkness and the good news to the bad news. Raise us up, Lord. Heal us on the inside. Heal us so that we can be greater servants. There's so many things in our characters and personality that we need deliverance from, Lord. We need healing from so that we can become closer to you and more like you and have more effect on those that are around us. Anoint us. Raise up a new Pentecost, Lord, and a new people transformed by the glory of your presence. Do it quickly, we pray, Lord. You're coming back soon and things are getting darker. But you promised that in the end times, as things got dark, darker, we would get brighter. We sing light of flame, and we ask that that flame that you've lit in our lives would be increased and would begin to blaze with the power of Almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Wonderful. Well, we are coming into uh, uh, Easter time, and... Um, week that's what's going to come you've already heard we're going to have a great Easter conference next Sunday at six o'clock we won't have a five o'clock service we'll bring that together with the seven o'clock service and um, it's going to be a great evening of victory and celebration and praise and uh, we're looking forward to some of the artists are going to sing resurrection songs we're just going to really glory in the power of Christ's resurrection we're going to preach the gospel it's be a great night to bring guests and visitors to see what Easter Sunday really is all about. If you can turn, if you have your Bibles with you, to Luke chapter 3. I'm going to look 
at the revival preaching of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet to come before Jesus. And that's quite an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? Because there were some mighty prophets in the Old Testament, the Elijahs and the Ezekiels and the Isaiahs. But Jesus himself said that John was the greatest prophet. And John came with a great reviving power. And in his message, which was a powerful message, he was preparing the way for Jesus. That was his message. He was getting the ground ready. He was getting everything. So his message is all about preparing the coming of Christ in our lives. And so when we look at the message of John the Baptist and we read it and we minister it, what does it do for our lives? It does a, a work of loosening and repentance and working so that more of Jesus can come into our lives. He is a prophet, a prophet, a great prophet. He was John the Baptist, the Elijah that they expected to herald the Messiah. And so when his words are released and when his message is understood, you will find that things will change in your life that will cause Jesus to come greater in power in your lives. So we're going to read, we're going to read from Luke chapter 3 verse 1. Let's just get into the flow of where John the Baptist was and what was going on. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah and Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip Tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Traconitites, and Lysianus, I wish I'd started in verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds, that came out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were all questioning and expecting in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, 
John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. But with the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the um, evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. So here we have in that scripture the ministry, the preparatory ministry of John the Baptist. A voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus to come. And where I really want to focus in tonight is he was preaching the good news. He was preparing the people. And he was calling them to a life of radical revolution, a life of radical repentance, a life of radical change. He was preaching to them the power of God and the forgiveness of God. But he expected that there was going to be a revolution in their lives that would affect every part of them, especially their daily lives and the things that they were involved in. He preached the gospel, but he made it specific. This is one of the main features that you can find in this passage. Not only does he preach about uh, bringing down the mountains and, and making the path straight and he says, flee from the wrath to come. That's the first message of the New Testament. And bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Now, all that thing is marvelous, but it's general. But isn't it interesting how much of the, uh, uh, the testimony of John's ministry is to do with giving specific advice to specific people in their specific lives? You say, well, what do you mean? Well, the crowds asked him, what shall we do? And he didn't just give them a general sort of, well, be nice to one another, or, well, do the right thing. But he began to speak to certain groups and individuals and began to apply what his preaching would mean in their daily working lives. The crowd said, what shall we do? And he said, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, he was speaking to the haves and how they should treat the have-nots. He was speaking to those that had extra and what he would expect them to do on a daily basis. This was practical advice. This is the sort of fruit of repentance or radical change from the baptism that he was preaching that he would expect to take place in daily life. And uh, uh, then the tax collect collectors come to him. They're baptized and he speaks to them. They're saying, what shall we do? The message is, what shall we do? They believed in his message and they wanted to know what their mess that message would mean for them in their daily life. And so he's speaking now to different um, people in different careers, people in uh, different types of employment, 
And so, the, and so the first that come to him are the tax collectors, the most disliked people in society. And they come to him and he says, look, let me tell you how the glory of God and meeting with God and, and how this prophetic message should change your daily life. Tax collectors. He said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And then he speaks to soldiers. And they're saying, well, what do we do? How, how will this radical revolution in our lives manifest itself? See how intensely practical this is. And yet John was a fire and thunder preacher. I mean, he, he believed that when Jesus was coming, he believed Jesus was coming to judge the world, not save the world. Later on, when he was in prison, he got confused because he only had parcel revelation. I mean, he's been preaching, flee from the wrath to come. He's been preaching, if you don't bear good fruit, you're going to be thrown into the fire. He's been preaching that the one that's coming is going to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. And it seems that the fire that, that John the Baptist thought of was the fire of punishment and destruction. Well, we know it's the fire of the Holy Spirit for power, but he seems not quite to have caught that because he moved straight on from the fire to the winnowing fork and the separation of the saved from the unsaved at the judgment seat where the unsaved will burn with an inquenchable fire. So, so he, he was more thinking of the second. He couldn't see, see that there would be a first coming and a second coming. He didn't have that revelation. And so he's preaching the end times very powerfully, uh, but, he's, and, uh, but he's also very much interested in how people treat each other in the workplace, in daily life, with the possessions that they have. It's amazing. It's, it's blood and fire and thunder and judgment and end time and Messiah and Holy Spirit. And yet at the same time, it's like, oh, and by the way, if you've got an extra jumper, would you give it to the person that's cold tonight? Oh, and by the way, when you are collecting your taxes, don't take more than you should. Just take what's right. Oh, and, and by the way, when you're patrolling the streets, oh, uh, 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 don't intimidate people. Don't, don't, don't extort from people. I think this is amazing. Amazing. S such power, such authority, such understanding of spiritual truths and the judgment to come and yet such a tender understanding of what a revolution means in daily life you know in the gospel this is what we understand we know that Jesus is coming soon we know that great supernatural forces are at work right now that when we look out to the world it can be almost overwhelming to perceive the great powers, powers of dark angels. We preached on that last, last week. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and, and orders in, in, in the heavenly realms. Great powers are moving and manipulating, but also the power of God and the angelic forces are also moving in the world today. It's incredible what's going on in the spiritual realm. And, and John is tapping into this. And, and we know that the Lord's coming soon. We, we know that, that, that God is going to pour out His Spirit, we believe, in greater measures. When the enemy is going to roar even louder. We see these things spiritually. 
John saw these things spiritually, but he was still so practical in his application. He could speak about the chaff that will be burnt in unquenchable fire, and then he could also begin to speak to different people in different types of employment of what they were to do. You see, the message of the gospel and the message of repentance and the message of revolution has always two aspects to it. Two aspects to it. Godward and manward aspects to it. And so this is why the law and the prophets, everything in the Old Testament can be summed up in this phrase, love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of the, of the law. That's the summary of the gospel. That, that, that is, if, if you want to take this book and say, what does it mean practically for me, this Bible? You want to take it? Can you give me just one phrase that sums up the whole of what this Bible means for me practically? I can sum it up and say, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the radical transformation that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. Note this isn't some sort of pure moral work. This is a Godward aspect before it has a manward aspect. So nobody can love their fellow man properly until they're first connected to God. And so in John's preaching, he's speaking Godward and manward. He's talking about the fact he's preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. That's talking Godward. In other words, he's wanting people to get right with God. He's wanting a revolution in people's, in people's relationship with Almighty God, knowing that Jesus, his son, is coming. He wants us to get right with God so that the relationship is restored between God and man. We know that sin has marred that relationship. Sin has broken that relationship between God and man. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We'll come back to that. That's what Romans says. All, all of us, every single one of us, have broken that relationship where we were created to love God. Not love any God. Not love false gods. But to love Yahweh to love the one and only God, to love Him, to focus on Him with our strength and our mind, for Him to be the center of our life, not in a compartment of our lives, not, not our co-pilot. You know, you can get bumper stickers saying, bumper stickers saying, Jesus is my co-pilot. What, you're driving the car? And He's sitting there giving you advice? I don't think so. Love the Lord your God. And that there should be an increasing restoration of relationship with God. And that as we grow as Christians, we should grow closer to God. The real God, the God of the gospel. Not the God of the false, uh, charismatic gospel that's being preached on television today. The God who gives everything that you want without reference to his glory. The God that's your co-pilot. No, no, no. That's a false gospel. The gospel is all about God and His glory. And as we adapt and change out and understand that we're God's co-pilot or, or 
We, we are sit- He's the one that's meant to be at the steering wheel and he can take us wherever he wants us to go because it's not about us, it's about him. And if we want to, to understand our place in this world, we have to realize that God does not revolve around us, but we're meant to revolve around him and his glory, his reputation, his will. That's what the world was created for, for his glory. And so John is preaching that, he's getting that, he's saying forgiveness of sins. But then he starts talking about the other aspect, love God with all your heart, but love your fellow man as yourself. And for me, this shows that wherever we are, God wants us to do primarily two things. He wants us to love him, and he wants us to express his glory to those that are around us. We're meant to be, as I was praying earlier, carriers of God's glory. And I've said and preached before that glory in the Bible has two aspects. It has the first aspect is reputation. When you hear of someone's greatness, that's their their glory. And uh, God's glory is his greatness and his reputation. That's why it's wonderful to preach about his greatness. It's wonderful to give testimony about what God has done in our lives. Why? Because that's telling of his glory, how good he is, how great he is, how he intervened. That's why the Bible is so glorious, because it's full of testimonies of what God has done through the ages. It's his reputation, it's who he is made known to man. That's the first aspect of his glory. And the second aspect of his glory is his presence, his effluence, his shining, his showing up, his manifestation. Well, we're here to be temples of the Holy Spirit. And so God wants us to go around and to spread his reputation and to shine, shine his goodness out of our lives. So when John spoke to these these different careers and these, these different jobs, he was basically showing them and giving them a pattern that you can apply to your life that whatever you're doing, Tomorrow, tomorrow, Monday, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, John has got a message for you. He had a message for the tax gatherers when they went back to their jobs, having been out there in the Jordan River Conference. When they went back from that conference, he said, I know exactly what you can do to show the glory of God. And uh, you can do that, tax gatherers, by being fair. And that would have a tremendous impact on the people around around them at the time. The idea that a tax gatherer would be fair was total total countercultural, because they weren't fair. That's why they're in the business. That's why nobody liked them. So that in itself would would release the glory of God. And people would be saying, why are you different? Why why, why are you not charging us? Why are you? And that would also give them the chance to say, well, Let me tell you about the reputation of the God that I now serve. He's a God of integrity. Do you see what I'm talking about? Remember Zacchaeus, the tax gatherer? He was a picture of this, wasn't he? Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house, Zacchaeus. I'm going to eat with you. And everybody was offended immediately. Why Why would you go and eat with a loan shark? 
Why would you go and eat with somebody and you would be eating the food that was bought on the money that he had stolen from widows up the street? Why would you do that, Jesus? Well, Jesus understood that he hadn't come for those that were righteous, but those who were unrighteous. And Jesus immediately showed the glory of God to Zacchaeus. What? What? He, he showed the glory of God. How? He showed the glory of God by saying, I'll come and eat with you. He was expressing the heart of his Father. He was expressing mercy and forgiveness. He was expressing, it was God's the Father's will for him to do that. He was following his Father. He, had a, he, had, he's a, he was attuned into God to do the radical thing. Yet at the same time, he was declaring the glory of God. And Zacchaeus was overwhelmed by the glory of God. And what happened? Exactly what John the Baptist said should happen. He said, before he'd even eaten with Jesus, he'd seen the glory of God and the glory of God's love. And he'd seen how Jesus had treated his fellow man, him, a sinner. And he said, this very moment, if I've wronged everybody, I'll pay them back, I'll give them extra. Do you remember that? And when people saw the reaction of Zacchaeus in his career and his job, his daily work, that's what he said. He said, now in my daily work, there's going to be radical change. In my workplace, in my career, in my environment, my daily day, you're going to see a radical change and it starts right now. If I've wronged you, I'll pay you back and I'll, I'll give you extra. I'll never do it again. And people were amazed. It was when his daily life in that moment changed that people said, surely salvation has come here. And John understood this. So what does that mean? That means for you and for I, me, God is wanting to do something extremely powerful in our daily lives. I mean, John the Baptist is telling people. So where do you work? Where do you study? Where do you live? What will you be doing? Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Who will you be coming into contact with? God is calling on us to apply the message of John the Baptist, which is the gospel, to our daily lives. So I can't go through, if I was John the Baptist, maybe I could have counseling sessions at the end of this service. And maybe we could get start with the giants, Chris. And so maybe I could say, right, uh, or maybe I could say, we're going to have a seminar on Monday night. Monday night we're calling all those involved in business. John the Baptist, the great fiery prophet, fire and Holy Ghost, and the Messiah is coming, is going to do a seminar on what it means to show the glory of God in the business place. What, John the Baptist, a practical seminar like that? Yes. And then on Tuesday, all of those that are in the giant of education, Wednesday, all of those in the giant of media, and all of that, you know, we could go on, couldn't we? John the Baptist is going to sit down, and he's going to preach you some fire, he's going to preach you some revival, and you're going to go, what does this mean? And then he's going to sit with you and practically work out how this transformation should be affecting the fruits of your life in the daily place, right from your journey on the bus or the tube and how you're to act there, right to your workplace. That's pretty powerful stuff. Well, John the Baptist isn't here today, but the Holy Spirit is. I pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to work on you right now 
You see, one of the problems that we face, generally speaking, is that sometimes we can compartmentalize our spirituality, our faith, and our workplace. And that's exactly what this backslidden secular government wants us to do. It's its, it's, its backslidden, demonic, powered agenda for you to separate your life into secret Christianity and then to do what they want you to do. We will not bow to the false god of this government. We won't do it. But, but, and so that's what they want you to do. But Christians have been doing that anyway without the help of this ungodly government. Christians have been doing that anyway. They've been separating their lives into sometimes church on Sunday and, and, and everything, and, and they have a spiritual life, and then they have their, then out in the world, nobody even knows they're a Christian. Christians can work in places nobody even knows. Nobody knows for months or for years. And um, John the Baptist is addressing this. And he's saying, look, you can start tomorrow by just simply acting. And these actions were wonderful actions, weren't they? This isn't the action of some false god saying, go and threaten people that if they don't worship your god, you're going to blow yourself up or something. On the contrary, this fiery, radical, extremist prophet, John the Baptist, is telling us to have radical change that benefits those that are around us. Not, not, uh, not threatens them, but benefits them. He's saying, tax gatherers, be fair. He's saying, soldiers and policemen, don't intimidate. He's saying, those of you that got extra, help those that are in difficulty. Those of you that have got provision, help those that don't have provision. A whole lot of other people are going to benefit by this type of attitude. Think of Zacchaeus, which is a verse. Zacchaeus' salvation benefited everybody in his tax code region. Do you know? You know what I mean? You get a tax code, don't you? And wouldn't you like to be... Well, I wouldn't like to be in Zacchaeus' tax code region before he got saved. But I reckon people got up and moved their house to where Zacchaeus, the Christian, was tax gathering. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, it'd be worth your while. I mean, you'd look at your money, you'd look at what you're giving, you think, you know what, we're going to move house. Well, we're going to go over to where Zacchaeus looks after things. Why? Because we're going to get a good deal. We're going to be better off. He's going to be fair. Wouldn't you? So this is a revolutionary me message. It's not simple, be nice, moral people. This is a revolution that's driven by an internal change of your life with God. It's a Holy Spirit thing. It's a baptism of fire thing. Zacchaeus met with God. He met with Jesus. And then his relationship to those around him radically changed. I, I believe that there's something prophetic on this tonight because I believe that you can ra be radically different at your workplace tomorrow. I believe that you can be of radical benefit to those that are around you. You can go the extra mile. Nobody else is. You can begin right now to say, what does this mean for me tomorrow at work or in college or in my studies? What does it mean for me if I'm a mother with a child? What does it mean for me 
uh, in a mother's group or a kid's, you know what I'm saying? Wherever you are, there's meant to be a radical change that benefits others that comes from an encounter with God. That's what revival is. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. May the Holy Spirit speak to us. Come with me now to um, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, which, which comes on the back of this, and then I just want to minister this to, to you by the Spirit. Now, we're going to read from chapter 2, verse 1, but before we do that, go straight to verse 10. So you can see where we're going. Straight to verse 10. Titus chapter 2, verse 10. Showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Now, I'm going to go back in a minute. Adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. What, what does that mean? Well, it's talking about the truth of God. It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about all the truths of Scripture, the truth of God, the doctrine of God, the teaching about God. But there's a word here that says adorn. And what does that word mean? It means to clothe richly. You know? When we talk about adornments, it's when you, when, you, when you put on your best clothes, your best jewelry, your best face paint, your best hairstyle, and you go out and, you know, I hope everybody has at least one outfit that they, that they consider special, and that when you put that outfit on, and you look at yourself in the mirror, you think, looking good. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's true, isn't it, that when you adorn yourself with your favorite clothes, you go out feeling good, don't you? Well, I hope, I hope you do. I hope you do. I think of my daughter, and uh, many of you know, it's no secret that she's um, highly disabled mentally, but a great blessing to our family and everyone she meets. And um, I remember, uh, actually it was quite amazing, because there was a woman that was in the church at the time that she was born and uh, she's gone to be with the Lord now and she was sort of on the peripheries of the church she wasn't really a regular member of KT she'd come when she can and she had many issues in her life but she became friendly with our family and um, she as soon as Charlotte was born well this lady had had a great love of Burberry and as soon as Charlotte was born, we began to get packages given to us, Burberry. And as Charlotte grew up and she became a godmother, uh, one of her greatest joys was to buy Burberry clothes for Charlotte. And um, it suited Charlotte. I mean, they're very, very expensive clothes. But she looked great in those. And it was lovely to see. And sometimes people were surprised when we take Charlotte out. They'd be surprised. They didn't say it, well, some intimated that, why would you dress a disabled child in Burberry when they don't know, when they wouldn't know any different? Do you know what I'm saying? You can see a mentality there? But she was adorned. She, and that was, that was a wonderful way of, of blessing her. And even now, when I, when I think of Charlotte, when I go and pick her up when she's staying at her, at, at her special school during the week and I go and see her at the weekend, or she comes to be with us at the weekend, but when I go and see her and take her out on Saturday, and I walk into the house that she's at, the special house, 
and the first thing I do is look to see what they're wearing and sometimes they just put on the old clothes because they're just around the house and I don't like that and I'm patient but it does annoy me. The first thing I'll do when I see her and, and I say we're going out today is I'll say right let's get that tatty jumper off and get you the stuff that I bought you that they because the trouble is you buy them the nice stuff but then they don't put them on. They don't put them on like well because they, they'll just get them dirty but, but I bought it so she could be adorned. And so I take her in and I pick out one of the nice stuff and I, and I get her changed to go out and you know she smiles because she likes to look good. She's adorned and she walks out looking, up and looking wonderfully. I'm using that as an illustration because this is the word that's here, to adorn the doctrine of God. So we talk about our best clothes, we talk about things like that. What does it mean to adorn the doctrine of God, to clothe the doctrine of God? Well, now let me read from verse 1. And remember, keep John the Baptist in mind and keep the whole of the Bible is to do with loving God and loving your neighbour and how John put that into practice. Now read this as if John was maybe preaching it. But as for you, Titus 2, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's not enough just to teach doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are not to, uh, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to too much wine. Put that bottle of Pinot Grigio down. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us wouldn't that be wonderful servants are to be submissive to the masters in other words uh, we're to do what our bosses tell us to do in everything they are to be well pleasing and not argumentative not pilfering but showing all good faith. Here it is. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Now this is not a bunch of moral views. I mean, I'm not preaching morality to you tonight because the next word says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, and here comes the glory bit, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to, re for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works you see God is coming Jesus is coming soon and when he comes he's coming in 
all glory and his holy angels with him. But what Titus is saying is until, until Jesus returns in full glory, we are to be the glory. We're to glorify him in our daily lives, in our relationships, in our workplaces. We're to, we're to do, we are the glory of God, are meant to be the glory of God until the glory of God arises. And this glory comes in the most normal of circumstances. It comes in your workplace. We're going to adorn the truth. But I'll tell you what, truth without adornment doesn't have much impact. Let them glorify your Father for the things that you do. Let's just rest for a moment in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let this word now be ministered into our hearts. Lord, the gospel transforms. As our life is transformed with God, so our dealings with other people is also meant to be transformed. In fact, Lord, you said through the Apostle John, how can you say that you love God when you don't love your fellow men? And Lord, when you test our spirituality, and you've got your checklist of, us, of what makes us spiritual, top of the list is not how much we read the Bible, or how much we even pray, or how many services we come to. It's not top of the list. These things are important and beneficial, not top of the list. The top of the list is how do we treat those that are around us? What are we like at work? What are we like in the real world? Can anybody tell any difference? Holy Spirit, this isn't morals. It's not anybody can try and be a nicer person. This is not that. John preached a revolution of the heart. Jesus preached a revolution from the inside out, not the outside in. First of all, we need to encounter you, Lord, more and more and in deeper ways. And then these things will follow the fruit of that. Holy Spirit, convict us, and teach us and guide us right where we are, where we're, where we're going to be tomorrow. The people that we're going to be in the situations that we're going to return to. The daily grind. The workplace and the study place and the home place. God, show us a picture of what it would look like if we were to obey what John the Baptist would tell us to do right where we are. Show us what it would look like, Holy Spirit, if we were to, to have the similar change that Zacchaeus did. Where we are, what we're doing is not by accident. You've placed us permanently, temporarily, seasonally in the places that we are doing the things that we are. Sometimes, Lord, we get impatient. We wonder what we're doing and what's the point and what spiritual value does working here or there or doing this or that what spiritual value could this possibly have to the kingdom of God but you're telling us that's exactly where you want to manifest your glory radical change lives 
for the benefit of others that we might talk of the reputation of our God. Speak softly to us, Lord, right now we pray. Let that thing from within come manifest on the outside. Changed hearts, changed lives. To impact those that are around us, a different way of living, a different way of reacting, a different way of responding, a different way of working, a different way of studying, a different way of relating, a different way of using resources. Oh, Father, it's the stuff of revival. It's the stuff of taking nations, Lord. Have mercy on us tonight, Lord. And now I pray, Lord, that will you release your gifts of the Spirit on your people tonight and those watching on the internet. I pray that you will now release gifts of healing. Healing of the soul. Healing of the body. I pray that you will release miracles a provision pray that you will intervene and bring protection where the enemy is attacking us I pray that you will bring prophetic insight to those people that are confused about where they are where they're going I ask you Lord to release the gifts of the spirit amongst us that the heavens would indeed be opened and that you would indeed Pour out a blessing on your people tonight. As we put first things first tonight, I pray that you will add to us the blessings of the kingdom of God. I pray that you will bless your people today. I pray your face will shine on your people today. These aren't just words. These are a prayer of faith and a blessing. I pray that things will take place this Easter week that will bring delight into your people's hearts. Gifts from God and breakthroughs from God, blessings from God and encounters with God, restoration and healing abound amongst us. May the blessing of God Almighty be upon us in Jesus' name. Now, with our head bowed, if there's anyone here tonight and you, you're not right with God, I said all of this depends on being right with God. That's the most important thing. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Without the forgiveness of sins, you have no relationship with God. None. You might think you have. I'm telling you tonight, you have none without forgiveness of sins. If you do, why did Jesus come and die for your sins? But if you accept that Jesus came to pay the price that you otherwise will pay. Eternal damnation and judgment is what you deserve. It's what I deserve. But if you understand that God sent his son to stop that, to pay the just price for our sins, this is what the Easter message is all about. By dying on the cross, the sinless one, God made man, almighty son of God, died on the cross, paid the penalty 
for all of our sins, every single one of them. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He carried the sins on the cross and then three days later, on Easter Sunday, he rose again. And because he rose again, we know that his death was accepted by the Father and that the forgiveness of sins means that even if we die, we will rise again to newness of life one day. And when we do die, we will go straight into the arms of the Father. It's a free gift, but you have to receive it. Say, how do I receive it? You just say, I believe that. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and was raised from the dead, then you, my friends, your sins are forgiven you forever. And you can walk out today right with God, ready to be right with man. If there's anybody here tonight and you say, I need that in my life, then I want you to lift your hand right now and I pray for you. Wherever you are, downstairs or upstairs, lift your hand and I'll pray for you. Get right with God. Just a prayer away. I'm ask the ministry team to come forward right now. We have, we have released by prayer the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to spend 10, 15 minutes now just responding to the word, worshipping the Lord. But also, this is a time of ministry for you. This is what we do. We do it in different ways, in different nights, sometimes on the platform, sometimes. And if you need prayer for anything, maybe in response to this message, or maybe you need a healing, or you need a breakthrough, and please, as we're worshiping together, uh, come out. We have a ministry team here. We'd love to pray for you and believe with you that something's going to happen tonight. Let's all stand together and worship the Lord.